How's it going, Calvary Chapel of Harbor? Good? All right. See, uh, you guys made it through uh, Imperial, <laughs> right? They said it's going to be open about 8 or 9 tonight, so um, that gives you guys some freedom to stick around and have some acai afterwards because it won't be open, so um, I'm just messing with you. I'm, I'm uh, Prentzel Esquivel, if you guys don't know me. Um, I see some new faces. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and um, let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now, and we are so grateful that we have such a great God. We have such a loving, heavenly Father. And um, Father, that you would send your Son, Lord, to teach us to uh, die for us. And then, um, Jesus, you would leave this earth to allow the Holy Spirit to come. And Spirit, we invite you here right now. We ask that you would go before us and um, work through your word. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I'm going to go completely old school. Um, I already started getting some texts that I didn't turn off my uh, iPad, so I'm going to use the paper. So um, Matthew, Matthew, I I'm going to give just a quick review of what we've been through because um, I, I'm one of those guys that, um, right, in, in school they tell you, like, you look through a hole and, and what do you see? You know, I, I, I would always, like, I don't know what I see because I needed to see the big picture, and, right? They give you that, that thing where you look through the hole and you, you see some gray scaly skin and some hair and, like, what is that? And people, oh, it's gray, it's, it's, it's skin, it's, it's hair. No. It was an elephant, but I needed to see the whole elephant. So um, when it comes to, to this portion of scripture, I needed to see the whole elephant. So um, I'll take you there really quick. Chapter one was right uh, the genealogy of Christ. And all of these um, uh, teachings are online. So you could, you could go online and you could see them, all great teachings. Um, the genealogy of Christ was, was blew our minds as far as like how Randy got us there and the importance of that stuff. Uh, the, 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 the birth of Christ was obviously right. We, we had Christmas in, in, in May. Is that when we had it? Um, that was awesome with Brian. In chapter 2, Randy taught us again in, on, on the wise men and in Jesus' young life. Um, then chapter 3, Brian um, talks to us about John the Baptist and how he was preparing the way for the Christ. Right? And, and John the Baptist's message which th this is part of um, what's important tonight. John the Baptist's message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at a hand. And then he baptizes Jesus. Didn't want to do it, baptizes Jesus. We see the Holy Spirit come down. We hear the Father. He said, this is my son, right? We don't hear the word Father, but he calls him son, right? So that happens. And then um, chapter four, uh, Gabe did the, the, the beginning part of it, and um, that's where Jesus was led into the wilderness. He was led there by the Holy Spirit to be tempted for 40 days by the devil. And th then when he leaves there, this is uh, Matthew chapter 4, in, in Luke, 
chapter 4 is the same story. And I, I love the exit in Luke chapter 4 because it says that he leaves there and returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So um, he, he, he now is there in the power of the Spirit. And in, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says that Jesus was teaching in Galilee. And what he was teaching was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That brings us to where we're at tonight. Um, and that, that's the Sermon on the Mount. That's three chapters of Jesus' sermon. Um, I'm going to go through verses 13 through 20, but I want to give a little bit of an entry into um, the Sermon on the Mount because I needed it. I, I needed to understand um, for, for a couple different reasons, but um, I, I read a stat that uh, Christians highlight uh, three portions of their Bible more than any part of their Bible. And one is Psalms, the book of Psalms. One is the book of Proverbs. And the other is the Sermon on the Mount. And, and all three of those books are um, one-liners, right? It, 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 there's so many verses that you could just go to, and they're almost standalone verses. They're, they're one-liners. And I, I think about, um, and, and I didn't want to do it. I, I didn't want to come to this with, with, with seven verses that I'm teaching as one-liners. I wanted to bring it as a whole. And I, I think of um, movies like Nacho Libre and Elf, which they're not the greatest movies. They're not the best acting movies, but there are some genius one-liners in there. And we all memorize these one-liners because they're, they're really genius. And, and I didn't want to do that to this. I didn't want to like, hey, have these one-liners. I know in my home, we repeat those one-liners a lot, but um, these are one-liners that I want to understand what is happening. And um, you know, the, the Sermon on the Mount, it, it, it changed my life. It really did. Um, it um, changed my walk, changed my relationship. Um, it, it changed my, my way of thinking. It absolutely blew my mind on how I was raised. Um, in 2001, we were going, in 2000, we, the end of 2000, Lance started um, the book of Matthew, but in 2001, he started going through, in January, he started going through the Beatitudes. And I, I started going through my notes, and I started looking. The first verse of Matthew chapter 5 is when I actually started taking really good notes. I started, I had notes up until that point, but I, I didn't take a date. I didn't write, I just wrote down, you know, Lance would tell you, grab three nuggets. And that's all I did. I just grabbed three nuggets. I wouldn't even write the, 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 the scripture reference. I would just like, hey, these are the nuggets I got out of the study. And I, I wouldn't equate it, but something happened. He, he, he gave an intro into the Beatitudes that sparked me. And then for the next seven months, I read, it took him seven months to go through the Beatitudes. But it, it absolutely, to me, I remember. I remember. I remember walking away. From, the, from, from these services. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I don't walk away with conviction and, and like high five people and like say, man, that was awesome. I'm so glad God turned me from that type of thinking. I, I process it. I process it. And, and I remember a lot of processing happening in my life at that time because it really was um, 
breaking things up in my life. So the Sermon on the Mount, again, I, I didn't just want to jump into it. I wanted to give some understanding. And it really is only like a 15 to 20-minute read. If you, if you read all um, three chapters, that's all it takes. But it is jammed, packed with things. Um, it is called, right, so Matthew chapter 5 through the end of, of uh, chapter 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And easy to explain uh, why it's called that if you read uh, verses 1 and 2. It's just he, he taught his disciples. It was a sermon, and he went up to the mountain. But there's, there's a few other names that, that, that I, I, I like as well. If you want to dig into the Sermon on the Mount, there's so much reading. I had to, like, bring it down. I had to, like, I, I can't read that book. I can't read that. I can't read that because there's so much taught on this because it, it's amazing. But one of them was it, it's called the Kingdom Constitution. And it, it is Jesus is, is telling his kingdom kids who's in and who's not. He's telling them what they should be like and what they should do. He, he's talking about how, how conduct would flow out of godly character. And he, and he tells us how to obtain that godly character. You know, so the, the kingdom constitution, right? As, as, as Americans, we have our, 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 our constitution that tells us our rights and who we're supposed to be. Well, this is that portion of scripture that gives us believers a constitution. Another thing that I felt interesting was uh, they called it Jesus' Manifesto. And I, I kind of know what a manifesto is. I really didn't. I kind of like, okay, well. So I looked it up. What's, what's a manifesto? Let me, let me read to you what uh, Webster's uh, 1828 dictionary says about what a manifesto is. A public declaration, usually of a prince or sovereign, showing his intentions or proclaiming his opinions and motives as a manifesto declaring the purpose of the prince to bring war and explaining his motives. This is, this is Jesus declaring war on the culture. And, and all, all aspects of culture is going to be challenged in in the Beatitudes, I'm sorry, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. You're going to see the religious leaders. You're going to see the world. You're going to see everyone being challenged. And um, th th there's also themes. Like, you know, people will tell you, like, this is the theme verse, right? You, we have the theme verse of, of Proverbs, which is Proverbs 1, you know, verse 7. You know, they'll tell you the different themes of these books, but... Um, there, there, there's two themes that, that, and I found many themes um, that people would give, but there's two of them that, that I want to talk about. The first theme is true righteousness. And the verse they use for this is Matthew 20. And it says, For I say to you that unless the righteousness, your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I will talk about that theme at the end because that verse is one of the verse that I'm going to go through. But uh, another theme is to to be different than the world, to be counter culture, and I like that one. And the verse that they used for that 
was Matthew 6, 8. And they didn't use the whole verse. They just said, don't be like them. So don't be like the culture. Don't be like the world. The counterculture theme of the, the Sermon on the Mount, um, John Stott, a, a uh, famous author, uh, clergyman, and um, it's gone to be with the Lord, but good writings. But let me read to you what he said about this counterculture um, Sermon on the Mount as he talks about the whole. For if today's young people are looking for right things, meaning peace, love, and reality. They are looking for them in wrong places. The first place to which they should be able to turn is the one place which they normally ignore, namely the church. For too often, what they see in the church is not counterculture, but conformism. Not a new society which embodies their ideals, but another version of the old society which they have renounced. Not life, but death. They would readily endorse today what Jesus said of the church in Sardis in the first century. Revelation 3.1. You have a name of being alive, but you're dead. I'm so glad that we come to a church that is counterculture. We, we do not take our cues from the culture. I um, recently saw a, a, a pastor um, go before a board and, and, and was explaining his, 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 uh, his view of, of a topic. And, and, he, he, and I was wondering, what is he going to say? Like, how is he going to explain this topic that is a cultural topic? And he, his defense had nothing to do with the word of God. It had everything to do with, like, you're missing the boat of what our culture desires. That, that was his, his, his fuel. And I'm so glad that, that we here aren't perfect, but we run to the word of God. We align ourselves with the word of God, not align the, the word of God to our thoughts, but we align ourselves with the word of God. And he also said, um, no comment should be more hurtful to a Christian than the words, but you are no different than anybody else. Um, when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, he told them, don't be like the other nations. He told them, be like me, I am holy. And this is echoed in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Leviticus 11, 44 through 45 tells us that. Leviticus 20, uh, verse 26 says that. Jeremiah and Ezekiel both warned Israel, please do not be like the other nations. The Israelites constantly forgot their uniqueness to the rest of the world. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into marvelous night. The word special in the King James says peculiar. I, I don't want to be called peculiar. I, 
But I should embrace that. I should embrace that. I, I, I was um, raised poor. I was raised that way, and I thank, I thank the Lord for my upbringing and everything he showed me. But one of the things, like, for some, some reason, my parents always found, like, how we lived in, in good neighborhoods. But we weren't, like, we shouldn't have been in those neighborhoods. But I was peculiar, <laughs> how I dressed how, like, my, my home life was everything different. And so all I ever wanted to be was the same. <laughs> I wanted to be the same as everyone else. And I had to fight through those things. And thank God that I'm not the same. Thank God that I am a peculiar, special person and people of the Lord. And we are. We're going to be completely different if we live out the Sermon on the Mount. I, I want to get to the Sermon on the Mount. The, the, there is no single paragraph in the Sermon on the Mount that doesn't contrast a Christian to something else. The whole Sermon on the Mount will contrast that. It, it is so important for Jesus uh, that his followers know that we are to be different we're supposed to be different from both, from nominal churchgoers. We're supposed to be different from the secular world, different from both religious and irreligious. Um, it is a Christian's value system, ethical standard, religious devotion, attitude towards money, ambition, lifestyle, network, of relationships, all of these things that he's going to teach us through these three chapters, which all are at odds with the non-Christian world. This Christian counterculture is a life of the kingdom of God. It, it is a life that, that's fully human, but with divine standards. So I'm going to jump into the Beatitudes, and um, again, just give a quick rundown. Um, I'm not going to give them all. Stan did that. Stan talked about um, that. If you were here last week, you, could, you, you, you got the message. But he also said that, um, I, I liked he said, Beatitudes mean a believer's attitude. There's two of them that, that I think are important. And um, But before I get that, the, the word blessed, this this kind of um, rang true in my mind because you know we, we talk about the Sermon on the Mount is, is revolutionary. It is counterculture. It is radical. But that word blessed, I, I found one commentator said that it, in the hearers in front of Jesus that day it would have blew their mind for Jesus to use that. That's the first word of the Sermon on the Mount. He said blessed, and it would have blown their minds because he was now equating it to them. And that word blessed, which in Greek secular literature, it meant to have um, divine joy or perfect happiness. But the, that word was only in the secular world ascribed to heavenly hosts or people that actually went into eternity and died. You could not, it was never equated to people that were alive at that day. So for them, for now Jesus is saying, you can experience this divine joy. 
You could experience this perfect happiness. And, and he's going to blow their minds by telling them things that, that are completely counterculture. And I just want to uh, go over two of them. And it's, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And the very next one, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And um, uh, shameless plug here for uh, Grief Share. Our Grief Share is going to start August 6th during first service. But here as a staff, we went through Grief Share um, to learn, to, to learn how to minister, to learn. And one of the things that we learned in Grief Share is when loss happens, everybody grieves. But not everybody mourns. Mourning is a choice. You have to choose to mourn. In, 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 in those times, we, we see it in, 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 in literature. We see it in movies of the past. There, there's time periods for mourning. They, they would actually have a time period. This is your time to mourn. It was a choice. I am going to go through my emotions of like, I'm going to go through my hurts with the Lord. I'm going to do these things. And, and, but we could choose not to mourn. We'll grieve. And, and we, we, we saw that in Grief Share that they, they gave examples of people that over a decade they were talking about their loved ones like if they had just passed away days ago. And those people were still in grief because they never mourned. And, you know, Jesus is telling us here that, that it's a choice. And I love the promise of choosing to mourn. The promise is you will be comforted. And so when we choose, right, and, and going through Grief Share just opened my eyes, our eyes, that there's so many things we need to mourn, right? We, we, we need to mourn the loss of, of loved ones. We need to mourn seasons, Right? And if we don't mourn, if we hold on to things, it doesn't go well. It doesn't go well. You know, Jesus says, like, for, 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 for life to happen, death has to happen, right? And he, he's talking about seasons. He's talking about, our, our, he's talking about different things. And for me, you know, I, I, look, at, I, I look at my, my granddaughter. If, if, if I didn't allow, right, my, my, my parenthood over my daughter to die, I wouldn't have life. <laughs> so we have to mourn. And, and when we do mourn these seasons and let these seasons go, God says he's going to comfort us. So I, I absolutely uh, appreciate that. And it's, it's a great promise. But, but it is. Grieving is not a choice. We went through grief share. Like, it will come out whenever. But mourning is. Mourning absolutely is a choice, and they, they gave some great examples on, on how to do that, you know, and um, little things that they, they would tell you, like, you know, it, it's okay. Like, you, you don't have to be the strong one. Like, hey, pick, pick a Tuesday night where you're going to go through pictures of someone and absolutely just cry, right? It, those are choices, but it, it, they say if you don't do those things, it's going to come out when you're at work, when you're at the, wherever it happens, and um, you know, we, we, we talked about how sometimes we don't do these things and it will come out. But the, the other one is, is Matthew 5.5. 5. And, and I really think, um, I picked these two because I, I, I believe these things are our counterculture. Like the, the, the world tells us, right, you know, 
just suck it up and, and, and move on. Or, or, or like, hey, you know, if, if it is a season, hey, th- that belongs to you. Hold on to it. You know, these are things that happen. But um, here in Matthew 5, 5, it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And um, that word meek, um, yeah, Jesus uses it in, in uh, chapter 11 of Matthew of himself. He says, you know, I, I'm lo- gentle and lowly, but that word is also meek. And um, I learned when in 2001 that that word was, was a, a word used for a horse. For, 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 it was praus, and it meant for like a horse that, that's broken, a, ho- a, a, um, a horse that's, that's tame, and that you could ride. And, and it was power under control, and a, a horse that was useful to the master. And I, I think about power and, and how it's misused in today. Like, we, we, we use power, right? We, we, a bully wants their way, right? A, 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 a micromanaging manager, right, wants his way, wants to control everything. I want to I use my influence. I want to use all these things to control and get my way. And that, that's, world, that's the world standards, right? That's, that's all these standards. But I love the promise that he gives here. And, and if, if those people that want their way, if they would look at this promise, it says, you shall inherit the earth. If, if you have power and you leave it under control of the master, Right? You, God is going to give you, right? That, that's, that's another big part of the, of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom, right? Seek, God's going to give you these things. And here he's, he has this wonderful promise of he's going to give you. I, I don't need to exert and push my authority. I don't need to do that to get my way. I need to be meek. And allow the master to bridle me, to, to, to steer me. And he's going to give me everything I need. The beatitude character, characterizes um, what, it, what a, a follower of Jesus should look like. But um, now we're going to head into uh, the, these two metaphors and it's salt and light, and, and, and these metaphors are talking about th- these blessed people, right? So who, who are these blessed? The, the believers. So um, he, he starts off, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read verses. Uh, I'm just going to read verse 13 first, and we'll go into that. But you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So who's the you that he's talking about? He's talking about the blessed ones, the ones that are poor in spirit, the ones that mourn, the meek, the hunger and the ones that hunger and thirst, the ones that are merciful, the ones that are pure in heart, the peacemakers. That's the you he's talking about. And he says, you are the salt of the earth. And um, I'm going to go into, there's so many, so many uses of salt that have nothing to do with food. But here he, he, he first talks about 
food. And so um, I'm going to that, right? It adds flavor, right? It adds flavor. In, in uh, Colossians 4, 6, it says, let your speech always be great, be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer one another. I think about that verse, and it's telling me, like, when, when I, 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 I bring something, right, with grace, that's, he's equating salt and grace together, it's going to give me the ability to continue to speak into somebody's life. I, I, I'm going to add, right? Salt adds something, right? When, when you taste something and, and it, it's a little bland, you add a little salt. It adds something to it, okay? Um, one of the things that um, our, our uh, grill master here, Mead, he taught me that the, the only seasoning that penetrates past the skin or, or, or the surface is salt, all the other seasonings that you rub on it, it doesn't penetrate into the meat. Only salt does. And so we, we, I love that he uses salt. Okay? What, what other effects does it have? It is a, a healing agent. Okay? Um, ever since I was a little kid, you know, I have a sore throat, right? My mom, warm water and salt, right? And you gargle it, right? And, and it, it starts to kill the infection, right? It starts to heal, right? And in, in, if we're going to be a healing agent, you know, I, 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 I looked as like, hey, I, well, healing in, in, in the word of God, and I just did it in my Bible software, and, and like, I'm saying this because I'm convicted, but if I'm going to be a healing agent, Second Chronicles 7.14 says, I need to humble myself, I need to pray, I need to seek God's face, and I need to repent. That's what it says. If I'm going to be a healing agent to the world, I need to be. And this is what he's going to say later on in the same sermon. He's going to say, like, how are you going to take the speck out of his eye when you have a plank? So that falls in line. And, and it also preserves. It was used for meat before refrigeration was, was ever a thing. You'd put salt all over your meat and it would preserve it. It would preserve it from rot and it would preserve only for a time being. So I, I wanna be a, a preserving agent in this world and, and, and protect it from rot. That's what he's telling us to be um, from, from um, be salt, okay? The, the other thing that I found interesting was it promotes thirst. How many of you guys heard um, the line, you could lead a horse to water, but you can't get it to drink? You guys heard that before? My father-in-law was, was an excellent, excellent um, horse rider. I don't know what you would call him, equestrian. He owned a horse, and he was, he was in movies, and he was, he'd, get, he'd always get dubbed for, for people on horse. And, he, he, and he, someone said that, and you know, my father-in-law said, he says, I could get any one of my horses to drink. And he goes, that's not true. And he goes, how do you do that? And he said, I always carried a salt lick. And, I, and, and I'd, I'd shove it in their mouth and they'd lick it. And sure, sure enough, they're, they're, they're drinking water. And so salt is to promote thirst. And so I'm supposed to be promoting, right, to the world a thirst for God. 
Do, do I do that? Do I, do, I, do I look at it, right? Mark chapter 11, where Jesus was churning over the tables, he was upset because they were in the court of the Gentiles, where the court of the, where the Gentiles and all types of people, it says, right, that, that you made my, my father's house a den of thieves, where it should be a house of prayer for all nations, right? They were supposed to get in there, and they were supposed to promote jealousy, to like worship, right? The Gentiles are supposed to be able to come in and, and, and see the worship and say, I want that, right? I, we're supposed to be a promoter of God to other people. You know, I, I've, um, I, I see a, a, a fishing is, 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 is really big right now with, with, with the young generation and uh, they're all wearing a shirt that says Salty Crew, right? I, I, I want to be part of the Salty Crew. Right, but not because of fishing, but because I want to be someone that promotes God. I want to be someone that promotes a jealousy to want, right? But we have. So um, now I'm going to read. He jumps into um, again. It looks like there's a bunch of one-liners, and and he he does move kind of fast. I'm going to talk about the light of the world, and this is verse 14 through 16. So let me read it. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do, you th- do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but the lampstand, but put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Again, he, he, he says you. Right, the you are the beatitudes. We we're supposed to be light. We're supposed to be illumination to the world, right? And th- that's who we're supposed to be. And so, a a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but a lampstand, and it put um, and it gives light to all who see it. You know, um, I, I live in a, in a house that uh, was, was built in the 1950s, and it's, it's a little, I, I love our house. It's, it's a little different. Um, it looks like it's a one story, but it's, it's, it's on a slope that comes down like that, and my driveway slopes. And our, our, our garage, it's a two-car garage. It, you have to make an L to even get in there. Can't even get a car in there, but um, it's under the kitchen. Okay? It's under the kitchen, and when we first moved in, it's dingy and dark. There's no lights in there. There's two lights, but they, they literally hid them. You, you have a hallway that goes down from the kitchen, and there's a light in the hallway, but there's a wall that, that stops the light from going into the garage. And then you come down, and you're going down the stairs, and you, you, you make a right, and there's your washer and dryer. And there's a, there's a storage, cl- like, area to the left that's blocked by everything and there's a light in the storage area and it's just so dark so i've had to put i i i went and bought those have you seen those led lights that you 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 do at home depot i had to wire some things and, and put it in the middle and now it is it's lit up just because you put one right in the middle and it, we're supposed to be illumination we're supposed to be, you know, I think of Psalm 119.105 that says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
you know, it, you, you've heard people say, you, you're possibly the only Bible people can read. I'm supposed to be legible to people. But my path, right, when, when you can't, you cannot not share light. We, we took uh, the seniors, we, we have a senior uh, trip for our homeschoolers and we took them to Chiapas one year and um, there's these caves that you could go in, I believe it was like two miles you, you go into and at the, they had lights up until um, the last like half mile and, and then they, they, they would give you a, a hard hat with a light and you go all the way to the end and they tell you, turn off all your lights. And you did, and, and you, I mean, you, you can't see nothing. And all it took is, is someone to click their cell phone in their pocket, a, a little dim light through their pocket, and you could see each other. That person couldn't, they, they, they couldn't hoard the light. They couldn't be selfish with the light. The light's the light, and it illuminates for everyone around us. And he's telling us that's what we're supposed to be. And it, let's move on to verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. There's another counterculture thing here happening that um, this is the first time in the Gospels that Jesus calls God your father. And I'm going to talk about that significance a little bit later, but um, I, I want to talk about, um, and we're going to get into this, but I just want to talk about um, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them, Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do your charitable deeds, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that you may have your glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do your charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So I, I wanted to point out, right, th th this is all part of the same sermon. These verses are not in contradiction to each other, right? So we have, we're supposed to be light, and people are supposed to see us in our good deeds. What's happening here, th there's it's, it's, it's the attitude of the heart, which the whole Sermon of the Mount is talking about, right? One attitude is, is we give God glory, right? We give God glory when, when, when we do something, when, when something, um, hey, man, great job. No, no, right? Give God the glory, right? Um, when, and the other one is I take the glory. I take the glory. I want the glory. I want the recognition, right? Like, who, the, the, the heart is, is so wicked, you know. Um, we, had a, we have a, um, a professional athlete that comes here, and, and um, he, 
I encouraged him. He's like, hey, how, how do I give God's glory in everything? And James tells us every good and perfect gift, gift comes from above. So there's nothing in you that was not given to you. Nothing. There's nothing. My, my faith, given to me. Right? Every part, like the ability to, to work hard, to every, everything. Right? I didn't choose to be born in this family, in this country. I, I didn't choose any of those things. Everything I have was given to me. And because of that verse in James, I could give God glory for everything. Everything. You know, I, I remember um, really thinking I was all that. You know, when, when I first came came around here, and um, uh, my friends were my family and, and my coworkers, and um, I met some some guys my age, and they lived in what we call the discipleship house. And these guys were godly guys. These guys were godly guys, and it rocked my thinking. Because they weren't married, they didn't have kids. I knew families that they had been married and, and done it right, couldn't have kids. And, and it's just like, what did I do to have a beautiful wife, to have four beautiful children? What did I do? What did I do? And I, I'm looking and comparing myself to these guys. I'm like, if anybody deserves these things are these guys that are pouring into me right now. I don't deserve it. These guys deserve it. And so I was, you're able to go now, and anything we have, we're able to give God the glory. Um, Philippians 2, verses 14 and 15, it says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. St. Augustus said, light, even though it passes through pollution, is not polluted itself. Being light not only has benefits for others, it also has benefits for you. First Peter 2, verse 12 says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when you speak, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So when I was first coming here, I was working in a grocery warehouse, and um, the grocery warehouse has what they call standards, and so um, you, they give you, you have order selectors, and you had replenishment people, and that was all who's in these aisles, and everyone is at odds with one another, because however fast, like you give you, here's an order, pick it for the grocery store, so you're shopping for the grocery store. It takes an hour, but every minute that you save, they would pay you in your hourly wages. So the, the, the forklift, so that, that was on an electric pallet jack, if you don't know what that is. But then you had forklift drivers that were replenishing all the things that you picked. And the forklift drivers, they're on a standard. So everyone is 
running over each other. Everyone is, is no one's friends when it comes to like work time. They, they all want to get their money and they all want to make more. And um, one of my Christian friends who um, was first witness to me, and he'd been there for like two, three years before I did. And we had this forklift driver who um, was been there for 30 years. And this is all union stuff. And um, it was on camera that the forklift cut the guy off and jumped off. He was so mad, he jumped off and he jumped on the guy. But my friend was, he, he, he was a 6'2", 225 pound uh, tight end in high school stud and, and he, 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 he could handle himself, but he was a believer. And this guy was, was, was shorter than me, probably 130 pounds and he got mad and he jumped on him and my friend put him on the ground, they both got suspended pending investigation and um, gonna lose their jobs. Well, this guy that's been here 30 years, the, the, the union is fighting for this guy because he's, he's, he's a long-term guy. So they, they do all, all the, 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 the testimonies and everything. And the guy said he jumped on him because my friend cussed him out. He was a believer. He never, ever said a cuss word. And everyone asked, hey, did you ever hear this? Ne never, never, never. You don't know what happened in the video because you just see them jumping on it. He jumped on him, but why did you jump on him? He, 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 he just railroaded me verbally. And his testimony with everyone saved his job. And the other guy lost his job. And so I look at that and I think like here in, in, in 1 Peter 2.12, it even is protection for us, right? When we walk in the light, it's protection, right? I, I'm not going to stub my toe, right? Um, I went, I went uh, hiking with my son-in-law and my son in Yosemite went for my 50th birthday. And um, I'm, 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 I'm antsy and I'm packing everything. And um, my wife's asleep. She's like, hey, I, I'm just going to go to bed. We're leaving like 4 o'clock in the morning. And I, I, I had my sandals on, and I packed them. I, I, I'm, I'm just going to be ready to go in the morning. So I packed my sandals. I had one more thing to do in the dark. I kicked a corner of our table and broke my toe. And I didn't say nothing until we, we were hiking, and I was like, um, we need to slow down a little bit because my toe's black. <laughs> but it, it, it's protection for all of us. The, the, it, I'm also a benefit to, this, to the light that comes through me. And so, um, yeah, so let's move on to verses um, 17 through 20, which is the fulfillment of the law and prophets. So let me read uh, verses 17 through 20. Do not think that I came to destroy the law and, or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. But assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass away from the law till it is all fulfilled. Okay? Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does not teach, but whoever does and teaches them, he shall, okay, I'm sorry, I lost my spot. 
He shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So verse 17 says, Do not think that I come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill it. Romans 13.10 says, Love does not harm, does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. If you not see love in action through these things that Jesus is trying to teach us, like we need to open our eyes. In Matthew 23.23 and Luke 11.14, Jesus is talking to the scribes and Pharisees, and he calls them hypocrites. And he says, woe to you. And he tells them, you guys, pay all this attention to tithing, mint, cumin, and all these other things. He says, but you forget the weightier parts of the law. And here are the weightier parts of the law that he says. Love of God, justice, mercy, and faith. So he, he is the, the embodiment, the fulfillment of the law. And the, 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 the scribes and Pharisees had it wrong. Verse 18, for surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle will pass away. It, see, he's telling them, he's telling them this because the scribes and the Pharisees used to wow people with their useless knowledge of the word of God. It was useful if it, for, for certain things like uh, making sure that, um, you know, that, that everything was tr translated in, or transcribed correctly, but they, they would use those stats to, to wow people. And then they, they, they would wow people and they would make themselves to be like experts in the law. And, and they weren't. They absolutely weren't. They, they knew how many letters were in each book of the Bible. They knew, as we learned uh, with Randy, that every letter has a numerical value. They would know how much um, every book added up to in that numerical value. And, and people would be, would be wowed. They, they discovered that there is 613 commandments in the first five books of the Bible, 20, 248 of them are positive, and 365 of them are negative. Does that matter to anybody? Right? Like, wow, right? It, it's like Jeopardy or, 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 right? or tri you know, Trivial Pursuit, right? It's a bunch of useless knowledge. Like, what, what, is, what, what is it going to do for you? But that's, that's what they were full of. They were full of useless knowledge. And Jesus was, was he was telling them, I understand the importance of every detail. I understand that. But there's a greater fulfillment of the law. They would use verses like Isaiah 57, 15, and they, they would not quote it completely. I, I, I read through some, some of their teachings, and, and they wouldn't quote all of it, but they would say, 
For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. They, they, would, they would say those things to show, like, hey, we're experts in the law. And th- that brings me back to, right, verse 16 of, of our father. Like, does that sound like a, 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 a loving father? What does that sound like? Does that sound like, right, what, what they were proclaiming, like, the, the, this God was, He's a God like wanting it and waiting to spank us, right? For don't cross the lines, right? You better you better do these things, and you better you know you better tithe, you know mint and cumin and all these things that you say, or else you're going to like blasphemy, right? This is what we're going to find out in chapter eight when Jesus starts to heal people. And they, they, they think it's wrong to heal on the Sabbath. And, but that was important um, because these are the things that they were completely radical to the hearers in front of Jesus when Jesus says, your father. And he, he, he's completely destroying what these scribes and Pharisees would teach and tell. So they're, they're completely upset. Again, um, Jesus says, you know, I'm sorry, Romans, right? That, that love does not harm, does no harm to a neighbor, but therefore love is a fulfillment of uh, the law. So he was explaining, trying to give them the explanation, like, I am the fulfillment. Love, I am love. And I am the fulfillment of these scriptures. In, in Matthew 5, 19 says, whoever therefore breaks one of these least the least of these commandments, and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of God. But whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Um, you know, my, my, my daughter and son-in-law, they, they, they keep on telling us that um, they, they're having revelation that, that what, we, what our kids get, it's caught, not taught. It's caught more than it's taught. And, and watching the, these little toddlers, they're doing what they observe. And so I say that because, right, it, we, well, I, I might be sinning, but I'm not teaching anybody to sin. No, we are. They, we are getting observed by people. You know, my, my, my granddaughter, you know, she, um, she, she wants a watch. She wanted a watch, so my... My, my daughter, her, her auntie, bought her a little pink watch, and she, she observed the whole transaction. She saw her get on the phone and order it through Amazon. Right? She's not allowed on electronics, so, but she observes. Okay? And so the next morning, she, she points to my daughter, her mom's phone, and, and says, watch. Like, check it. Is it coming? Is it here? Because she saw that. And then she gets her watch, and then you know what she does with her watch? Because grandma, Gigi, is a good Gigi, and she puts her phone away when she's watching her. But she texts through her phone. And she'll say, so she's walking around, you know, and then she'll check it. She'll check it, and she's like, Papa, Papa. But 
there, you know, and Kelsey, we were talking about that, and Kelsey talked about how she looked over the other day, and she saw Scotty, and she's stretching. She's like, like, and she's looking at her like, well, she's, she, she's copying mom. They, 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 these things are caught by them observing us. So we need to watch what we're doing. And um, as a staff, we're going through Proverbs. Um, we, 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 we do a devotion every morning, short, couple verses. And, um, you know, we, 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 we got into Proverbs 3, and it hit me. It, it actually saddened me reading Proverbs 3, because it's like, that's, this is some crazy wisdom. How many, right, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, all of us know by heart. Solomon was talking to his son, Rehoboam. He was not a wise guy. Rehoboam was wicked, and he didn't do what Solomon told him with his words. He did what Solomon taught him by his actions. And so we, right, we have an accountability he's telling us by what we do here. And a quote by Warren Worsby, and I love this too, like, you know, it says, the Pharisees thought they were conserving God's word, but in reality, they were preserving God's word by embalming it and it no longer had life. Jesus was trying to bring life back to the scriptures. This brings me back to that theme of true righteousness. Matthew 5:20, for I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. This would also be mind-blowing to the people because they saw all these things that they outwardly did, right? The, 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 the Matthew 6, 1 through 4, this outward pomp and circumstances of, look who I am. And he's telling them, you got to be even greater than that. Romans 10, 3 says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. The Pharisees and the scribes wanted to define what righteousness was through their knowledge. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8.1 concerning the things offered to idols. But he says, "You, we know that we all have knowledge, and knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. They were not edifying. <laughs> True righteousness is not defined by the, the world standards, by my feelings, but by God and through his word. I, 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 I was thinking, I'm going to end with this, I was thinking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the uh, well-known martyrs of the 20th century during uh, World War II, but he struggled. He was, he was a German uh, believer, and he, he was there during uh, the Nazi regime, and he struggled. He talked about how he would get spanked if he lied, and, and he, 
he had a hard time. Like, it was part of his character. He could not lie. And he struggled. Like, he, he, was, he was part of helping Jews escape. And, and, and he struggled through the question, what would I do if I was asked, am I saving Jews? And, and he, he came to the conclusion, right, there is a weightier part of the law. And, and he came to, um, his struggle was Proverbs 6, where it says, lying is an abomination to the Lord. But then he, he came in Genesis, and he, or, I'm sorry, in, in Exodus on the midwives. And then he came also upon Rahab in Joshua, that they lied. And they were commended for lying. And for what? Because they understood the weightier parts of the law. They lied to save a life. And that's what he was, that, that's what, that, that's the dilemma he was in. He's like, of course I'm going to lie. Of course. And this is what Jesus is trying to get through. And I would think like, if I was there, I, I wonder what these scribes and Pharisees would tell me about the lies of Rahab and the midwives. Like, what would you have to say about that? How, how, Teach me, like, are they wrong? Are, did, they, did they do the right thing? Like, these are the dilemmas that they didn't want to deal with, and Jesus wanted to completely upside down this culture and be counterculture and be revolutionary and say, think through these things. And so we're going to go on a crazy ride through these next two and a half chapters, and um, I'm excited to go through it, and hopefully it blesses you um, as it blessed me, and it not only blesses you, but changes you, and so um, let's pray, and then we will uh, go get some acai, so Father, thank you so much again for your word, and that you didn't leave us here as orphans, you didn't leave us here without direction, you, you, you gave us direction, Lord, and, and you do want us to get our cues from you, not anything else, but you, and that we would um, embrace that, being a special people, a peculiar people, to you, a royal priesthood, Lord, and thank you for this uh, portion of scripture, and, and I pray that it it would not be in my heart one-liners, but it would be something that we live by, Lord, and I live by. And thank you, Lord, and uh, pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again.